There's plenty of bad news out there. How about some good news? The book of Proverbs says that good news from a far country is like cold waters to a thirsty soul. I'm glad you're listening, because I do have good news. It's from a far country, so get out a tall glass. My name is Dean Kirshner, and I'm part of the Ministry of Gospel Link. As you can tell by the name, Gospel Link is centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, and what He is doing today. Today's episode is titled, Sorry to Disappoint You. However, I don't think that the episode is actually going to disappoint you. In fact, I'm celebrating this week. You see, this week I have a birthday. You know, I love this time of year. It's baseball season, it's fishing season, no school, I'm eating strawberries from the garden. I mean, June is a great time of year. In fact, my research indicates strongly that Jesus was probably born this time of year. Not for sure, of course, but I think the Lord must love this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere when the days are so long. I mean, he is a God of light after all. I'm also excited to announce that this podcast has made it to 50 episodes. Today will be number 51. And I don't ask much for my listeners. But if you want to bless me with a birthday present, you could subscribe to A Cup of Good News. By doing that, I think you get notifications every time I send out a new episode. And in turn, what do I get? Um, well, I don't know what I get, actually. <laughs> I guess I get your affirmation. Yeah, I realize that you appreciate the time I put into this podcast. And you appreciate hearing what God is doing around the world. I have heard that 50% of the podcasts out there have less than 500 subscribers. So I have hoped that at least 501 people will subscribe to this podcast this year. If you don't want to subscribe, well, I guess you can say, sorry to disappoint you. Which brings me back to today's story. When I think of disappointed people in the Bible, I think of those two men on the road to Emmaus. It was the happiest day in the history of the world. Jesus had risen from the dead, but they were downcast and discouraged. Jesus comes alongside and says something to the effect of, why the long faces? Their answer, to me at least, comes across as literary comedy. Cleopas looks at Jesus and says, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Are you from out of town? Do you not know the things which have come to pass? Now, this is funny because he's talking to the only one who knows really and truly what has happened. But you can hear the disappointment in his voice, can't you? We hope that he was the one which would have redeemed Israel. But it's been three days now since these things were done. 
Sometimes we're disappointed in God when he is right around the corner, ready to do something amazing in our lives. I can only imagine the twinkle in Jesus' eyes. He opened the scriptures that day. Did he say, sorry to disappoint you? My heart went out to this young lady. She was about 24 years old, and from the moment she saw me, she was disappointed. Within the minute, she exclaimed, Where's Pastor Charles? Where's Pastor Charles? Looking all around the room for a man somewhat more distinguished than I, more elderly than I, and definitely with less hair than I have. You see, this young woman had come to meet with Pastor Charles. And the said Pastor Charles was not available. And I, in fact, had been asked by Pastor Charles to fill in for him for a couple of weeks. Up until this moment in the city of Tbilisi, my time had been fulfilling and rewarding. Filling in for Pastor Charles had been a joy, and no one had showed any disappointment in me. That was until tonight. I had been told that on this particular evening, a family from Iran was going to come by to visit me. Okay, great. That doesn't happen every day in my life, and I assumed that because we were meeting in a church building, they were going to be talk about spiritual things. <laughs> now, that does happen every day in my life. But nobody told me the backstory. A year beforehand, Pastor Charles had baptized a young Iranian man, and this young woman, the one who was now exasperated that Pastor Charles was not in the building, was present at that baptism because the young man was her brother. I began learning all these details immediately. She spoke pretty good English, as she said straightforward to me, I did not participate, I only watched, but I have been telling my parents about Christianity and they have come to see Pastor Charles. So now I'm getting a different picture. The Iranian parents want to meet face to face with the man who poisoned their son from Islam or who made their son an infidel Christian. My mind began to question where this meeting might lead, but I had no time to second guess as I was introduced to the parents. Now we've all seen the rioters in the Middle East and as a result we get a stereotype picture in our minds of what Middle East people look like. However, this mother didn't fit that bill at all. She had wavy white hair, fairly fair skin, probably in her 50s. If I had seen her in the States, I would never have expected her to be from Iran. She didn't wear a burqa. She wasn't dressed in black. She wore a pretty Persian flowery dress. And she wore a very tasteful head covering, like one might see a Mennonite lady wearing. She was polite, elegant, and educated. She was a school teacher, I was told, but she didn't speak a lick of English. Now her husband made me do a double take. This man definitely had Arab blood in him. I have to be honest, he looked very much like Saddam Hussein, although he was pleasant in demeanor and clearly happy to be there. I shook his hand and through a translator, I asked him what he did for work. He was retired. Oh, what did you used to do for work? He had been military. He had served all his life in the Iranian army. Oh, wow, I thought. That means you're one of my country's enemies. Uh, 
not knowing what to say next, I asked, uh, oh, um, what year did you join the Army? 1979. So now my mind's racing. 1979, that was the year the Iranians sacked the U.S. Embassy and took 52 hostages. Again, I didn't have too much time to contemplate this. The military man's daughter acted like she wanted her money back. My parents came to see Pastor Charles. My mother took her vacation time to fly up here specifically to meet Pastor Charles. I looked at this dear frustrated daughter and said, sorry to disappoint you. You're stuck with me, baby. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Um, I'm not real sure what I said. Something to the effect that I'll try my best to fill in. But her hyperbole was a little irritating. I mean, she's trying to tell me that her parents flew up to the Republic of Georgia just to meet an American pastor. This is a country where people come to enjoy the seaside or the mountains. Surely her parents were here on vacation. And this evening was an extra meeting to see the man who had baptized their son. But little did I know, they were not on vacation. I mean, they were, but they hadn't come here for rest and relaxation. They had come to ask questions of Pastor Charles. A year ago, Darina had watched this young lady. She had made no profession of faith, but Darina befriended her, and for a whole year, Darina had been corresponding with her through email, sending her Christian discipleship material. I should say here that the daughter lives in Cyprus, and from Cyprus she was communicating the Christian teaching back to her parents in Iran. If the name Darina does not ring a bell, you can access her story in the archives of this podcast. Darina's story was episode number 10, and it was entitled The Village Girl. So here we are, a most unlikely gathering. A poor village girl from Georgia, her friend, a refugee in Cyprus, a school teacher, a retired Iranian army officer, and a gospel link field director. But there was no Pastor Charles. Sorry to disappoint you. But someone else was there, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who changed the languages. He's the one who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Tonight, I hope he's the one who can give me some answers, some wisdom. Even as we sat down around an office table, I am praying, Lord, you're going to need to give me the right words, the right wisdom. I mean, I don't have any experience dealing with retired Iranian military men. I'm not sure what to say about the Koran. And they don't believe that you are God. Please, please help me. Give me the words that they need from you. If you've ever worked overseas or with another language group, you will have experienced what it is like to say a sentence and then pause while the translator relays what you've said. Some people are unnerved and anxious at these constant interruptions in the conversation, but I have learned to appreciate them because I pray during them. Tonight, I welcome them, praying virtually for every next sentence that I was about to say. I didn't want to waste time, so I briefly introduced myself. The parents didn't know one American from another, and they had never met Pastor Charles, so they showed no disappointment at all. Their daughter was still unconvinced, but she didn't have much choice by this time. I suggested that 
if they had any questions, we could start with those. I wasn't sure what to expect. How can you say Jesus was born of a virgin? How can we trust the New Testament when our scholars say it is corrupted? We don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. I mean, there's a lot of Muslim oppositions to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How was I going to answer all these typical arguments? To my surprise, the happy-looking Saddam Hussein man, sitting directly at the opposite end of the table as I was, nodded respectfully toward his wife, as if she should go first. She didn't look at me. She looked down at the table, but she proffered the first question. Our daughter has been telling us about the Christian God. Translation, me praying. We know that if we leave Islam, Allah will punish us. Translation, me praying. So we do have a question through all this. Translation, me praying. Is the Christian God really a God of love? Translation, silence. The daughter is looking at me. The father is looking at me. The mother is looking down at the table. I'm still praying. What kind of a question is this? Is the Christian God really a God of love? A dozen answers pop into my mind. John 3.16, 1 Corinthians 13, maybe the whole book of 1 John. But wait, maybe this is a trick question. I mean, it's a softball, right? People throw out something easy before they come back with the really combative questions. Is the Christian God really a God of love? Show them Psalm 23. I didn't hear a voice, but I told you someone greater than Pastor Charles was present in that room. Psalm 23, I thought. There's nothing in there about God's love. Or is there? Yeah. Maybe, maybe this lady grew up on a farm. She might know more about Middle East shepherding than I do. And then, in the Muslim world, David is considered to be a prophet. I heard myself say, let's get out the Bible and turn to Psalm 23. I had brought Farsi Bibles with me. We handed them around. We had to show them where the book of Psalms was located. David wrote this about God, I said. Before David was king, he had a very close relationship with God. Let's read how he described it. I didn't take the time to read in English. I didn't need the time to translate. They needed to hear God's word in their heart language. Someone read in Farsi, and I prayed. Okay, Lord, we're in Psalm 23, like you said. Now what? Please give me the right words. Please help me know what to say. You know these people, and I don't. Please help. As I prayed, I was also watching. The mother had a tissue in her hand, and she began dabbing her eyes. She was not the one reading, but she was following along in the Bible that we gave her. And it occurred to me that this educated, stately woman had never heard the poetry of Psalm 23 in her entire lifetime. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou restorest my soul. Thou anointest my head with oil. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. She had tears in her eyes, and as I thought how hallowed these words must be to a parched soul, I felt the tears coming into my own eyes. Dear Lord, don't let me cry. Help me keep it in. Help me be strong. They are looking at me to lead, not cry. Help me, Lord. <laughs> my prayer had changed. I had gone from praying for them to praying for me. I didn't need to exegete the passage. Psalm 23 is clear. Psalm 23 is simple. I asked, does this sound like an angry God? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He comforts me with his rod and his staff. I paused. Everyone in the room was silent. There were no arguments. I think even the translator wanted to be silent. Look, I pointed out. He even wants me to live in his house forever. Does that sound like an angry God to you? The Lord had already prompted me for the next passage. A thousand years later, Jesus also talked about sheep. Let's turn to Luke 15. Again, it took some time having to show each of them where to turn, but the awkwardness was minimized by the power of God's word. Luke 15 tells about a good shepherd who went wanting one sheep, left the ninety and nine, went out looking. As the passage was read, the educated mother was no longer dabbing her eyes. It was no use. Her tears came in currents, running down both cheeks. Her Saddam Hussein-looking husband looked at her kindly and empathetically patted her hand. This man had a soft heart. He loved his wife, and his wife was shedding tears of joy. You know, I didn't lead those dear people to Christ. Darina had been leading the daughter, and through the daughter had been leading this couple for a whole year. Yeah, of course, I prayed with them and led them in a prayer of repentance. But they came with really only one question. Will the Christian God really love us? They just came to see me to close the deal. You know, I think probably you could have answered that. Maybe you're weak on theology or references, but these people just needed to hear someone saying, Jesus loves me to them. You know, the Muslims pray all the time. That's not a big deal. It's a ritual. It's a shot in the dark. But mother and father and daughter requested that I baptize them the next day. I don't baptize people easily. In fact, I have never baptized anyone that couldn't stand and give a clear testimony in front of other people of how they came to know the Lord and how they received him by faith. Of course, I had never baptized a Muslim before then. Yet each one of them stood in the baptismal water with me and told what they believed and how they had repented the day before. That might seem small to you, and in our culture, it is. But that's huge for them. That baptism was witnessed by about a dozen gathered for a Bible study that evening, and some of them were not Christians. This dear family was flying back to Tehran in two days, and they didn't know for sure if there might be spies in our group. 
Baptism in Tbilisi for sure is safer than baptism in Tehran. But baptism is bigger for the Muslim than prayer because it is a new demonstration of their faith in Jesus and identity in his death and resurrection. I baptized the women first and then the husband. As I raised him out of the water, he embraced me with a great hug. I'm glad to say that someone photographed it. That photo is the tab photo for this episode. I call it the Iranian, my brother. Pastor Charles wasn't there that night and they were disappointed to get me, but I am happy to say they were not disappointed in God's word and in God's salvation or in God's love. And the dawning to noonday bright And Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth The kingdom of love and light This week I'm celebrating my birthday. I think I told you that already. But for my birthday, I want to raise $5,500 for Iranian Bibles and Pastor Reza. I'm turning 55. So if I had 220 people each give $25, it would reach my goal. If I had 100 people give $55 each, that would reach my goal. You know what? Give how the Lord leads you. You can email me at dean at cupofgoodnews.org or you can go to the website cupofgoodnews.org and I have a link to Gospelink where you can give for Reza and Iranian Bibles online. You can call Gospelink and give over the phone 434-485-7007 That's 434-485-7007 I don't need a new Bible for my birthday. I have more than one Bible in my house though the one I use is wearing out. But I can't think of a better birthday gift than the Word of God. And I've seen the power that His Word has in people's souls who are wondering if God really loves them. You've heard of the two earlier episodes about Reza. I know Reza personally. I love Brother Reza. And I want to help him because he's getting hundreds of Bibles into the hands of his countrymen who want them. And that, my friends, is good news. <laughs>